Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know what we love, the children of God, by loving God and carrying out, carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the world, even our faith. Who is it? that overcomes the world, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who, anyone who believes in God is the son of God, has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in, the son, in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrong, wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who has born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thanks, Roscoe. Uh, it's a tough reading. I don't know what your reaction was. Uh, when you heard that now or read that now, um, on Monday mine was, this is very strange, uh, very difficult. It's going to be a hard week. Um, it was a hard week for different reasons, but uh, we're going to open this passage up. So it will be helpful for you if you have your Bible in front of you. There are some tricky sentences, some tricky ideas here, but we're going to try and piece it all together 
together uh, and come to understand it well. Now back uh, when we were in ISO, when we were locked down, um, one of our goals in our household was to keep fit. Um, I say keep fit, we weren't very, well I wasn't very fit, but we gave it our best shot. Uh, the gym was closed, as everything was closed, and so we borrowed some gym equipment and set up our garage as a home gym. And every week we got messaged uh, workouts for, for us to follow as best we could. Uh, we had really high aspirations. Melinda managed to see it through. Um, I did not. <laughs> uh, I'm not very self-motivated. But anyway, anyway, in one of the workouts, we, we had this exercise that we'd never done before, and it was called uh, an odd object carry. And, and basically it was pick up something heavy and carry it in front of you uh, and walk uh, 20 or 40 metres, whatever the workout said. Now, we'd never, we'd never heard that before. We'd never done that before. Um, and so we asked us, well, what do you do? Well, we figured out where you grab something heavy, you hold it out with arms outstretched, and you walk for the set amount of distance. Now, if you've ever tried to do that, you can't actually hold very much weight in front of you. We started, you know, with you know, high aspirations, you know, a 20 kilo plate, well, that doesn't work. Uh, 15, no, that doesn't work either. At one point, I carried Jethro because he was getting quite fractious. That didn't really work either. I mean, you just can't actually carry very much weight. And we found that, well, I found that very confusing because the workout and the, the, the recommended weight was really high. I thought, well, who could ever carry, you know, 40 kilos in front of them over that sort of distance. It, it's impossible. How bizarre is that? Maybe I am really just that weak. And I was asking myself, we were asking ourselves, should it really be this hard? Should it really be this difficult? Are we actually doing something wrong? Have we misunderstood what we're being told to do? Now, it turns out we were. You're supposed to carry the weight against your body, which, as you'll know, is incredibly easier. Uh, duh for us, but anyway, we had a try. Now, throughout John's letter, if you've been here over the course of this series, you've heard the same instruction over and over again. It's right there at the top of the passage we're doing today. It's been repeated a number of times throughout this book. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another like Jesus loved you. As we heard last week, love proactively, love selflessly, love sacrificially. Now, if you've tried that, and I hope you're trying that, uh, I hope you're giving it your best shot, my guess is that at some point you're thinking, this is really hard. This is really difficult. I, it doesn't seem to come naturally. And maybe you're asking, should it be this hard? Am I doing something wrong? Have I misunderstood this command? I mean, after all, Roscoe just read that passage out for us and it says it's not burdensome. <laughs> it feels burdensome, doesn't it? It feels difficult sometimes. Are we doing something wrong? Well, yes, love is hard. But it ought not be burdensome. It might be hard, but it ought not be a burden to us. How is that possible? Well, John explains it in our passage today. It will be hard because of the times and world we live in. It won't be burdensome, though, because of the love that we have. We're going to be exploring how that works today, this morning. Now, you might have noticed if we've worked through this book, 
Uh, John loves revisiting topics. He doesn't just, you know, raise a topic, deal with a topic, and then move on to something else. He keeps coming back to them over and over again, and every time adding just a little bit more information or a slightly new nuance. And today's no different. Look at verse 1 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. It, we, we've heard this before, haven't we? Love is integral to who we are. We have received great love from God and that love has changed us. That love has brought us to God. It has made us his children. That love shapes who we are. Those who love God love those whom God loves. The friend of my friend is my friend as well. That's kind of the principle that John's saying here. Those who love God will love the ones that God loves. That is his children, his people. Now, what does that love look like? Well, it's there for us in verse 2 and 3. Read verse 2 and 3 with me. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments, uh, his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. There's how we love each other. How do, how do we do that? How do you love one another? How do you love the church? Well, John says it's very simple. We do so by loving God and obeying his commands. Those aren't two different things. They're in fact one thing. We Loving God means obeying God. So what John is doing here is putting a really high value on obedience to God, on following his commands. Not only is it the way that you love him, it's the way that you love one another as well. It's the way that we love our church. See, what John is saying is the way that you live matters to all of us. That your obedience to God's commands is the way that you love our church. Well, that puts a very high price on it, doesn't it? And so John goes on to say, well, God's commands are not burdensome. Now, you might be tempted to disagree. You might think, hang on a sec. Uh, that's not my experience of those commands. Remember how many of them there are. Remember how big they are. You know, sometimes they feel hard. Sometimes they feel very difficult. Uh, it feels like quite often they conflict with things that we want. Sometimes obedience costs. Sometimes it hurts. Um, sometimes obeying God brings us into conflict with people that we love. Then it's really difficult, isn't it? How could it not be burdensome? Well, look at the link that John makes. Look at it there in verse 4 and 5. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome our world, uh, overcome the world. Um, get rid of the word even. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See the link that John is describing here. God's commands are not burdensome. Why? Because God's people have overcome the world. God's people have overcome the world and that victory lightens the load, lightens the weight of those commands for us. Um, maybe think of it like this. Uh, those of you who've, who've tried diets, uh, you know which day of the diet or which days are the most difficult. Um, I've done a few. The answer is, it's the first few days. The first few days of a diet suck. 
because your body is in an old way, you're, you're in the old routine, you, you haven't really won yet, you're, you're still really fighting to be different, fighting to change. And, and, and you feel that every time you get hungry, it's a great challenge, it's really difficult. But after a few weeks, after some time has passed, you, you turn around and you notice one day, you think, this actually isn't as hard as it used to be. Why? Because you started to win. You, your body started to change. Your, your habits, your, your appetites, your tastes, they've all started to change. And so the diet itself and, and all those restrictions, which early on were agony, they become a great deal less difficult. They're now bearable. And John's saying, so it is with God. We win. In Jesus, his victory is ours by faith. Therefore, we have overcome. And that means that this obedience, which ought to be very difficult, is now less burdensome. But how do you know you've won? <laughs> we don't feel like winners very often, do we? How do you know that that victory is yours? How can you be certain of it? <coughs> Excuse me. It's there in verse 6 to 11. It's a, it's a long and difficult section. I'm going to read it all. And then we're going to try to explain it together. Verse 6 through 11. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water alone, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Now, if you're thinking that doesn't make any sense to me at all, that's okay. It's quite challenging. But let's work it through. You'll note that the key idea in this section is that word testify or testimony. <coughs> Excuse me. There's three testi testifiers, if you like, or testimonies. Water, blood, and spirit. What, what's that all about? Well, what John is saying is there are three confirmations. There are three witnesses to what Jesus has done. There's water, Jesus' baptism. He came there as a man, and yet remember what happened at his baptism. Uh, you remember that the, the heavens opened, and the voice of God was heard, this is my son whom I love. There was this confirmation that, yes, this man was something more. He was something special. Uh, you might rem remember from John's Gospel, at that time, John the Baptist himself uh, proclaimed, this is the Son of God, and a little bit later, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His water, this baptism, testifies to who Jesus is. But it's not only water, there's the blood as well, which is a reference to his death. Remember what happened there, we saw it at Easter. The sky went dark, the earthquake shook the ground, the temple was torn, and his blood was shed to, as John has said, make atonement for sin. As Jesus himself proclaimed from the, the cross, it is finished. 
And finally, there's the Spirit, the Spirit whom Jesus himself gave. Uh, He described it in John chapter 16. He said, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Uh, In John's day, if you were to bring a, a court case or a legal argument forward, you had to have at least two to three witnesses. And that's what John has provided for us. Three witnesses to testify, to confirm what he has been saying about Jesus. What we have received in Jesus. Three witnesses that all declare Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh, who died on the cross for sin, who was raised to life for life and who lives today as our assurance. And therefore John can say very confidently what he writes there in verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How do you know that you have life? Well, John says it's simple. You have the Son because God has confirmed to all of us who that Son is and what He has done. All who believe in Him live. All who believe in Him have overcome. They have His victory over sin and death. They have it in Him. And so they can live in Him. They can live for Him. And as we've seen, they can give their life for him. Uh, For some strange reason, Facebook thinks I have lots of money. Uh, I don't know why it thinks that. But because it thinks this, it constantly feeds me lots and lots of ads for investment opportunities and for stock market software. You, You know the banner, here's three secret stocks that guarantee lucrative returns, et cetera, et cetera. Now say that opportunity was really offered to you. Here is a stock, here is an investment opportunity that will bring you great returns. You have to invest a lot, you have to invest your entire life savings, but it will bring you great returns. What sort of guarantee would you need to sink your money into that? I mean, we're talking about your life savings here, we're talking about the nest egg that you've worked hard for and are are relying on for, for many years to come. What sort of guarantees would you want? Uh, I'm going to guess a few. <laughs> I'm going to guess you're going to want a confirmation that this is actually legit, maybe a third party whom you trust to confirm that this company really exists. You probably want to confirm that there's a safety net, that if everything goes pear-shaped, you'll at least get your money back. You want to see the research on why this is such a good opportunity. You want to see lots, wouldn't you? And only then would you pay up. Well, God is asking for more than your life savings. <laughs> God is asking for far more than that. God is asking for your life. He is asking for your life given to him in obedience for him, in service to him. But the assurances, the guarantees that God offers here, they are far better. We have the testimony of water and blood and spirit. This is no myth. This is no guess of John. It's not a great story he tells to entertain this church. This is certainty he's talking about. Jesus has overcome. And so we can obey. So when it's hard, and it will be hard to obey, go back to that truth. Go back to this certainty that John has given us here. Now you'll still find love hard. We're going to see why in just a moment. But keep coming back to this truth. 
You have life in Jesus if you have believed in him. Eternal life, secure life. You are loved by Jesus. He has given his life for you. You are adopted by God the Father. You are his precious beloved children. You have won in, in Jesus. You are victorious forever. Why is it that love, that obeying God, sometimes feels burdensome? Well, I think it's because we forget this. Or we start to take this for granted. We, we start to, to drift from it. We lose just how precious these really fundamental truths are. And we drift. We drift slowly. And as John has been showing us, when we drift, we don't just drift into nothingness. We drift into the world. We drift into its lies. I mean, it happens to all of us at some times, doesn't it? Each of us, we live in the world. We, we're not uh, immune from it. We, we get influenced by it. Subtly and, and slowly, we start to listen to its stories. We start to listen to its values and absorb its ways. And when we do... When we do that, when that starts to happen to us, it's in that moment that God's ways, they start to feel uncomfortable. They start to, to chafe and be difficult for us. Because the world's ways and God's ways, they're entirely at odds with one another, aren't they? God's way is very simple. Love God and love others. The world's way, when you boil it down, is also very simple. Love yourself. And if we're getting caught up in the world's way, it is so difficult to go God's. You know, it's, it's like paddling upstream. There's lots and lots of effort, but very little to show for it. And so John says, remember. Remember what you certainly have in him. Remember you have overcome in Jesus. Remember you are not who you used to be. Remember he's broken you out of that darkness to bring you into his light. Remember, you're, you're in the world, yes, but not of the world because of him. Go back to that truth. Keep going back to that truth. And this love, this obedience that felt burdensome will feel lighter again. If you are finding love heavy going, engage in some self-reflection. It's actually an exercise we should be doing quite a lot as Christians. Simply ask yourself, why? Why am I finding this difficult? Why is God's way chafing? Why, why is it challenging to me now? And once, you, once you've got that down, maybe do it on paper. You know, there's a great exercise. Do it on paper. Test what you're thinking. What is this saying about what I'm believing? What is this saying about those I'm called to love? Examine yourself examine your heart and challenge it with the truth the truth is sure the truth is certain and it is truth that will keep you loving now that said though love ought not feel burdensome it will feel hard we've, we've said that now we're going to see why what why is love hard what what's the difference between burdensome and hard well that's where john sends us next now First of all, he takes us back to his purpose in writing this letter. He says, reminds us uh, why he wanted to write these things down at all. Look, look with me at verse 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. See, the key, as we've heard all along, the key that John has been writing that we would have is knowing. Knowing for sure, having confidence, having surety in God. Surety that we are in Jesus. Surety, therefore, that we are in God and in Him, in relationship with Him forever. Now, John's not talking about sign of a, a half-baked confidence here. He's talking about full and complete and, and wonderful assurance. The, the assurance of firstborn sons. I mean, that's an incredible thing we're talking about here. It means that you and I, we can look at Jesus, we can look at the way he lived, look at the way he related to God and, and see that confidence he had and know that that's ours as well. Uh, look through the Gospels, look at the way Jesus spoke of God, look at the way he prayed to God. That is how confident you and I can be in God as well because you and I are just as much sons and daughters as he is. We can have that confidence and as John says, we can have it especially now in prayer, in our talking to God. You and I can know we can always go to God. He will definitely hear your prayer. He will answer what you ask according to his will. He will certainly give it. Now, why is that important? Well, as John goes on to say, it's important because we live in a difficult world. We, we live in a difficult place. I'm going to read from verse 16 to the end of the book. Um, it's, a, it's a whole section. It's a complicated section. But I'm going to read it together and then we're going to pick it apart. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now there's a lot in there uh, and there's some strange things in there. But let's, let's work through it together. The first thing that we note is that John says there are three things that will make living in this world, living in this time, difficult. One... Christians will still sin. Now, you know that by experience, but John reminds us Christians will still sin. Now, there is a sin that leads to death, and that sin is the rejection of God and the living a life apart from Him. Now, a Christian, by definition, can't do that, but we can still disobey God and still sin. Two, the world is under the control of the evil one. Now, yes, we've seen Jesus has won. Yes, we know that God is in control. These things aren't mutually exclusive because God still allows the evil one to rule in this time until Jesus returns and stamps his authority on the earth once and for all. 
The evil one rules on a leash, yes, but still has power over this world. And three, idols exist. Now that last sentence might seem completely random. It seems like John's just had this great afterthought as he's finished you know, writing this letter and just tacked it on because it's so important. But actually, it's not an afterthought. John's written this because it's kind of the key to understanding this whole section. See, John's saying here, the world is hostile to Christianity. The world is hostile to Christianity because there are rivals to God around us. Um, Tim Keller says that uh, an idol is anything, even a good thing, that takes the place of God in our life. And I, I think that's a really helpful description. An idol is something that takes the place of God in our life. And that fits John's point really well. Because what John is saying is, we live in a world where idols exist. There is God and there is idols. And as John said the whole way through this letter, there's no middle ground. It's not as if God, idols are neutral. Uh, you know, Switzerland. Switzerland doesn't exist in the spiritual realm. It is one or the other. And not living side by side, you know, in peaceful coexistence or peaceful harmony, this is a war going on. These, these God and idols are rivals. They are battling it out. They want the hearts and minds of people. Idols want to take our heart. God wants to keep our heart for him. That is the world we live in, a world of rivals, a world of war. Uh, there used to be this show on TV, it was um, set in America was a number of years ago now, I think. Uh, what they would do in this show is take Amish teenagers uh, and take them out of their Amish communities and introduce them to the world. Um, I mean, you know a bit about the Amish. They live essentially as if they're in the 1800s still. They, they don't have electricity, they don't have technology, they drive their horse-drawn wagons around, they dress very conservatively in their conservative little enclaves. Now on this TV show, they would take some of the Amish teens and they would take them out of those communities and essentially introduce them to the world. Uh, take them to a big city and, and show them, you know, Times Square and show them uh, concerts and TV shows and technology and, and, and all those sorts of things. Um, in hindsight, you know, quite a, a cruel experiment, really. But what would happen is these teens at first would be very much, you know, pushing back. Well, this is all bad, this is all bad, our way is good. But, but over the time, the, the, their minds would just be blown. You know, this is what the world is like. Look at, look at what is existing outside here. You know, their sheltered lives had never prepared them for the world and what it really was. And what John is saying is, don't fall into the same trap. Don't be naive about the real world that we live in. Don't, don't hunker down into your little enclave and pretend that this isn't happening because it is. We need our eyes open. Remember the world you live in. It is a world of conflict. It is a world of rival powers. It is a battle. And it is danger. Now he doesn't remind us of this so that we would be terrified. That's not his point at all. He reminds us that we've overcome, remember. And he writes it that we would be aware. This is why it's hard to live for God. This is why it costs to love. Because the world is fighting for your mind. Because the world is difficult and hostile. And yet, 
continue. Remain in God, stay in God. That's his command the whole time, isn't it? How? By knowing, by loving, by keeping in God. (coughs) We are his children. Uh, We are kept by him. He reminds us we are in him. We're in him today. We're in him forever. He is the true and eternal, uh, true God and eternal life. What, what John is saying is you won't keep yourself through the difficulties of this world. You, you, you can't do it. It's impossible. But God can and God will because you are his and he is yours. So keep close to God. Keep close to God in hard times. Love him and love his people. We are in this together, so look out for one another. It's why, you know, when when uh, army recruits are taken, they're, they're stuck together in their, their squad or their platoon, and they're trained together to be together. We're, we're in the same situation. We're not fighting this out as individuals. We're fighting this out together. We're all going to have times when we stumble or struggle or fall. <coughs> Excuse me. And in those times, we need each other more than ever. And as John is reminding us here, we need each other in those times to pray for each other. As verse 16 said, if we see each other stumble or if we see each other sin, we we should pray. Now, as an aside, we should pray for non-Christians as well. John's not denying that. Uh, He's simply addressing a different situation. What John is saying is Christians who sin need prayer. That's a tremendously unspectacular thing to say, but it's incredible how hard we find that to do, isn't it? You know, when a friend, a a Christian sins, or sins especially against us, how do we find ourselves reacting? We we usually feel hurt, don't we? Uh, We we find ourselves withdrawing from one another. We we often judge each other. We become self-righteous. You know, I, I would never do that. That's not how we should react at all. We should pray for one another. Pray that uh, our brother, our our friend would have life in God. That's not pray that they would be saved. They are saved. It's pray that they would know that life in God and be close to God who is the source of life. We don't lose our eternity when when we sin, but we may lose some of our sense of assurance. So pray for one another that we would know that assurance. See, if we really love our brothers and sisters in Jesus, We're going to pray for them when they sin. Not less, but even more. There are no fair-weather friends in the church. When things are hard, we are together even more. And we express that especially in prayer. Because as the Eagles, one of the greatest bands in all time, as the Eagles sang, love will keep us alive. I'm not going to sing the song. Um, Love will keep us alive. Not our love, not your love, not the incredible love that we may muster together as the church. The eagles were wrong on that. God's love. God's love will keep us alive. God's love keeps us alive in good times and hard. God's love keeps us alive when we fall, when we stumble, when we struggle, when we hurt. God's love is the key to life. It's the key to our love for one another. So keep coming back to God's love. Because knowing it, being rich in it, being uh, intimate with it, 
will make showing it even easier. Come back to God's love. The world is hard, it is challenging. It will test you and try you and tempt you. But living God's love and helping each other in God's love will keep us confident and true. Love has given us life. Jesus love and his love will keep us alive forever let's pray heavenly father we we pray that you would help us please you know that we find it difficult far too often to love you and follow your commands we find it difficult to love each other Father, when we struggle, may you bring us back to that certain truth we have of your rich and deep and eternal love that is ours in Jesus. Father, remind us that we have overcome in him, that we are yours in him. And in this, may our love not feel burdensome, but may it be a joy to love one another. Father, help us to love. Help us to love when it's hard. Help us to love when we are failing. Help us to delight in showing your love to one another. Father, this world is difficult, and so we pray that your love would keep us, that we would be reminded of it daily, that we would rejoice in it together, that we would know it and be confident in it, that your love will see us through to life forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.